0: BT Focus listeners, today we've got a great ethics episode for you where we discuss upcoming changes to the RBT code of ethics. And so, some really helpful resources are going to be linked in our show notes. Uh, we share a great podcast provided by the Inside the BACB podcast with doctors Jim Carr and Tyler Seller, where they go over the code itself and also some great documents provided by the BACB. Very helpful crosswalk document that you can find on their website that walks you through each of the changes, as well as the new updated code. We've got a great conversation today, really applicable relevance to practice, uh, and some great stories along the way. With that, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the BT Focus podcast, dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Back to a very special ethics edition of the BT Focus podcast, I am joined again by two of our ethics committee team members, Ms. Christina Grubbs and Mr. Jonathan Yelland. Uh, oh, thank you no, both. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here again.
1: Man, that's been too long.
0: It's been too long. Yeah, you know, a couple things. One, it's a Friday afternoon, and what better way to end a week and enter the weekend and talking ethics and two how how did a month fly by I feel like we were just recording (laughs) our first ethics episode so uh, well the summer months are coming to a close I I don't want to have to remind you both of that but before we get into our fall back to school shuffle and reorganization all that sort of stuff Christina Jonathan any summer bucket list items on there for you
1: well, yeah, I definitely had one. We just went on our 10-year wedding anniversary vacation. Just got back this week. It was oh, awesome. Man. Went to Mackinac Island with my wife. We had a wonderful time. Got to see fireworks there. Oh, it was great. Good time. Oh, oh, and, and
0: for our non-Michiganders who might be listening to the podcast then when you say Mackinac Island is one of the most special kind of treasures
1: of, of Michigan. It, it's got to be one of the top places to go in the state. It's right there by Mackinac Bridge. You ride a boat out to this island. No cars. Everybody's riding bikes. There's horses there. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's wonderful. And if you've if you ever get a chance to go to Michigan, make sure to stop by. It's it's amazing.
0: Absolutely. And then there's also one last thing on Mackinac. So there's one like culinary creation that it is like very much known by for those of you that have a sweet tooth
1: jonathan like what is the thing to get hey uh, if that Mackinac <laughs> island fudge man i got two whole bricks <laughs> i brought home with me and we <laughs> love it it's so good
0: <laughs> and and for some of you who are listening and we're like you know maybe you're a different part of the country like what's fudge like okay so fudge is <laughs> <laughs> like it's in like the chocolate family it's just like a very like thick and creamy, delicious confection that is somewhere between the consistency of like taffy and chocolate. Like, is that
1: accurate, yeah, Jonathan? It's, it's a unique texture. It's really <laughs> soft and very sweet, but like, it's not, it's not crumbly. I, I It's really hard to describe. If you haven't yeah, had it, it, go find it some. Is. It's really good. And they're literally
0: sold in bricks. So you get a, yep. a, br- a, brick you a brick of fudge. Yep. So, uh yep. well, Christina, uh, I don't know if that can be topped, but let's hear. What do you got on your your summer uh, bucket list?
2: I'll take my In and Out double uh, double animal style no tomato over a brick of fudge any day.
0: Oh my gosh, that is <laughs> worth. Give me some
2: fries and a strawberry shake.
0: Yeah, uh, that is worth hopping on an airplane right now to go. 100%. Get. So <laughs> man, awesome. We'll, we'll In get our both.
2: 106 <laughs> desert weather out here. Yeah.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, we got both both uh, coasts covered. Um, I think for me, you know, the wife and the kids, I think I just want to get some more time at the lake. Just, you know, our kids, I was really proud of them. We've got two and a half year olds. They did a really great job in their little floaties. Get a little more comfortable in the water. Uh, it it was a good. We had a good weekend last weekend. Some a lot of time out in the sun in the water. So uh, put me on a beach somewhere, and I'll be happy. So, well, good, good. Well, thank you both again for joining us. We got a really exciting episode today. Uh, we are going to be talking about some important upcoming changes to the RBT ethics code, uh, which come into effect in January of 2022. So. Before we get into our conversation, I, I want to give a couple prefaces. Okay. So what we're going to be doing today is in no way an all-encompassing <coughs> comprehensive overview of every single chain on the code itself. Um, we want you to go and read the document yourself, right? There are going to be some incredible resources that we're going to resor- that we're going to link in the show notes that will take you to the second edition or the RBT Ethics Code 2.0. Also, the BACB recently published an awesome podcast episode of their own where doctors Jim Carr and Tyra Sellers go over really item by item, all of the updates to the code. Um, And I think it's really great because you get a history and an overview of how the BACB regularly reviews their ethical standards and makes adjustments over time based on feedback um, from the field itself. So they give you a really great context and history. Um, There's also going to be some great documents that we'll link. We will link a reference to the BACB's crosswalk to the RBT Ethics Code 2.0, where we can view exactly where some of the changes are occurring. Um, And I think this is a really great conversation to have with your clinical supervisor. BCBAs who are listening to this is just as relevant for you as well, right? For those of you who are supervising RBT's, you are equally in, involved in understanding the RPT ethics code and supporting ethical practice. So, what we want to do today is just highlight a few of the key changes that you're going to see in that ethics code 2.0, give you some, you know, food for thought, some relevance to practice and share some of our own insight and have a little fun at that. That sound like a plan? I'm happy to do it.
2: Need my pom-poms.
0: All right. Get them out. <laughs> Ethics time. All right, me too. Well, let's jump right in then. So, one I think very relevant item is three point oh seven RBTs regularly, i.e., monthly check their BACB account to ensure that their personal information is accurate, and also you could add to that making sure that your uh, registry is is accurate. You know who you have is who are you practicing under as a supervisee, just to make sure that all of your Accurate information is always up to date. Um, So it's a very, just very practical sort of housekeeping, but you always want to make sure when it comes to your professional certification that um, you always have your most active information up to date.
2: I think that's probably one of the most important ones for the new update is just making sure that you are up to date and checking on everything. We look at data every day. You should be checking your stuff to make sure that it's correct.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and I see this uh, not just as like confirming your own data, but it's like taking ownership of your RBT certification. Like you put in the time and the effort and the learning to get this thing. It's yours. You know, you want to be checking it, making sure that it's still active, that everything's still going and, you know, that you know what your condition is and that's yours and you own it. I think it's a great addition personally.
0: Yeah, really well said, Jonathan. I think it just broadly speaks to the importance of just taking ownership overall in your ongoing development and remaining up to date with BACB standards, ensuring that, you know, you're keeping up to date on on BACB newsletters when changes are coming out that you're made aware, right? It impacts you and impacts the work you're doing. So um, get involved. It's really important. You could subscribe to the Inside the BACV podcast. I think that's another really consumable way that you can um, stay up to date. And of course, listening to this podcast itself. So very good. Very practical housekeeping. Make sure your information is up to date on all fronts. All right. So let's go over another key highlight, which is 1.07. RBT's work directly with their supervisor to ensure that they are culturally responsive in their work. They actively work to evaluate their own biases and ability to work with individuals with diverse needs and backgrounds, such as age, disability, ethnicity, gender expression, or identity, marital or relationship status, religion, sexual orientation, or social economic status. And they obtain any needed training in these areas under the direct direction of their supervisor. So. I think this is a really critical piece, right? Making sure that we are culturally responsive in our work. Um, Jonathan or Christina, what are some relevance to practice and, and why is it important that we are really aware of those culturally unique aspects of our clients and, and how does it relate to our work within our services?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a pretty important thing to be respectful to everyone and um, provide treatment that works for what that client's family and that client need Uh, understanding and respecting how your client lives in their own world. And especially if it's different than what you're used to is really important. If you're going to provide treatment, that's going to meet the needs that they have in their living environment, whatever that may be. So I think it's huge that as we look to providing treatment, that we recognize the individual needs that each person we work with have. And with that, we can give them better treatment and respectful treatment that considers anything that they may run into that could...
2: I would agree with that, Jonathan. In in addressing those individual Mm -hmm. needs, we have to look at our client, their environment, and put programs into place as clinicians for our RBTs to run that are relevant to that lifestyle. If it's irrelevant what are we doing why are we implementing programs that are not reflective of 1.07 if we're doing something that doesn't match up with this client's let's say national origin sure what what's the purpose behind it so as clinicians we need to also look to make sure that everything we're doing is directly reflected based off of this for our, our rbt's to then implement
1: yeah. yeah, and I think I think it fits with the philosophy of individualized care that we have across our field. 100%. We're, we're individualized for that client with their needs, and we're going to respect those directly. I think it's great. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you both. It, to me, it also kind of harkens back to one of our seven dimensions of ABA, the applied dimension that we are working sure. on behaviors that are socially valid and socially meaningful. And those behaviors should be informed by those cultural values, the things that are unique to those individuals, and so that we are meeting those needs within our programming and goals. So I think you both hit that one really uh, right on the money. So well said. Um, here's another one. I'm going to transition a bit. Here's one I think is a really critical piece in the, the dynamic of our RBTs and BCBAs, which is RBTs conduct themselves in a professional manner during all work activities, delivering services, receiving training or supervision. They take action to improve their performance following feedback from supervisors. I'm going to just add, I'm going to just add a little addition to this. It goes in both directions, right? So BCBAs, we also have an ethical responsibility to take and apply feedback, right, uh, to be responsive in our work. But Jonathan and Christina, what are your thoughts on on this new standard? Why is the application of feedback so important in our work?
2: I think, first and foremost, accepting feedback is the biggest thing across all boards if we cannot accept feedback and we look at feedback as a negative thing then we need to do something to switch it up on how we're delivering that but then implementing that feedback we're in this for the purposes of helping children right if we're not able to implement that feedback that someone is giving us we're not doing our job accurately for our clients
1: yeah i absolutely agree with that we're all professionals And that's great. But no one should go into their job assuming that because they're a professional, they know everything or they have the right answers or they're always doing everything correctly. I mean, I'd like that to be the case. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know we don't always do it perfectly. Um, When we're open to that feedback, that's when we can improve and advance and fill the gaps that we might not have perfect performance in yet. Um, so I totally agree. We have to be willing to, to take that and recognize that's because we're professionals. It's not a de- It's not criticizing ourselves or, or criticizing someone to have feedback. It's recognizing you're a professional and you're going to respond to feedback like a professional so you can improve your performance in the workplace and for our kids.
0: Yeah, completely. Um one of one of my favorite behavior analysts is Dr. Greg Hanley and he has this great term, which is professional humility, right um, How important it is for us to recognize times where you know we don't know or hey, we could have done something differently and recognizing those as areas of opportunity, not as things that we need to become defensive of, but of things to really look back and learn from, right And so yeah, I think we could have an entire podcast episode both on giving. Mm-hmm. Appropriate feedback and accepting feedback because I think oftentimes it, it is, in it is some ways, in, in ingrained with us and you know, maybe become receptive, we become defensive, right? And when we're given feedback, instead of taking it at its value and applying it, we might be quick to justify or try to uh, deflect. And it's it really a healthy supervisory relationship is one in which we can give and receive feedback very openly. So um, it's a skill set and it's something that we need to practice. It's something that we probably need to give feedback on giving feedback. So, <laughs> so yeah. Feedback I like inception. Yeah, right. Precisely. Precisely. So, I thought that was a really critical one because if we are in a culture where we are giving and receiving feedback freely, we are just going to continually improve, which is ultimately the goal for all of us. Um, well said. Well, Next, let's transition into 2.05. This is a very critical one. RBTs implement restrictive or punishment-based procedures only when it is included in a documented behavior change plan and after their supervisor has verified their competence. So what is this saying? This means that a RBT should not be independently making treatment decisions, especially as it relates to procedures that we would define as punishment-based procedures or more restrictive interventions, which as Jonathan and Christina, you both can attest, there are very important considerations before any of those procedures are ever used. And certainly it's one that we always want to be aligned in with our families, with our technicians, and it is not a decision that should be made arbitrarily or in the moment. This is a really important one.
1: Yeah, very important to make sure that we are using reinforcement based strategies that are positive and beneficial and skill building um, and doing things in a way that will be beneficial to our clients. Yeah,
2: I would say as an RBT, you your job is to read the behavior intervention plan and implement exactly what's in that behavior intervention plan. If you have questions or concerns about that intervention plan, you go straight to your supervising clinician to address those. Don't go rogue and off the charts and, oh, I'm gonna try this today and it doesn't work. Go off the behavior intervention plan and contact your supervising clinician with any questions or concerns. Yeah.
1: And, and I guess I can add one more thing, just practically in the field, if your client's doing something that they're not supposed to do and you don't want them to do that, a punishment procedure, isn't going to really help in the long run. Instead, give them directions on the right thing that they're supposed to do based on that treatment plan. That's what's really going to help them because then you can reinforce their compliance and and make a positive difference. Very well said.
0: So let's pivot to what I think might be, you could say a, a hot button topic and, and, and one of these upcoming changes that you're going to see, which is The BACB's updated guidelines on the practice of accepting gifts from clients, and I thought what's important to do is maybe do a little bit of a a history and some context around this as well, Um, because historically, our code of ethics has been very black and white and very definitive when it comes to not accepting gifts of any sort or of any form from clients because of its potential effects of developing what we would refer to as a multiple relationship, right? If you're giving and accepting gifts, it could change the dynamic of that therapeutic relationship. It could change the objectivity and it could potentially lead to unfavorable outcomes. So in the past, our board has outlined a, a very black and white, you could say, stance on accepting gifts. However, what you will see in this new ethical code is, I think in many ways, a response of the field to feedback from clinicians who have experienced that in some instances, especially in some cultural differences where giving gifts is an expression of gratitude and refusing gifts or turning down gifts can potentially have a negative impact on that rapport or that that relationship. We do see some updated standards, and I think there's some very important caveats to explore together. So let me start with the standard, and let's go into discussion. All right. So the updated standard, which is going to be in the RBT Ethics Code 2.0, is 1.11. Because the exchange of gifts can lead to conflicts of interest in multiple relationships, RBTs do not give gifts to or accept gifts from clients, stakeholders, or supervisors with a monetary value of more than 10 U.S. dollars or the equivalent purchasing power in another currency. A gift is acceptable if it functions as an occasional expression of gratitude and does not result in the financial benefit to the recipient. Instances of giving or accepting ongoing or cumulative gifts may rise to the level of violation Of this standard, if the gift becomes a regularly expected source of income or value to the recipient, if an employer has a stricter policy regarding gift exchange, e.g. prohibiting gift exchange, RBTs follow that policy. So that point two is an important one that we're going to circle back to. If an employer has a stricter policy regarding gift exchange, RBTs follow that policy which hearkens a question well what is our policy with respect to gift exchange so i'm going to just discuss what our corporate compliance policy is related to gift exchange which is from our 2021 compliance code which states policy prohibits the acceptance of gratuities in the form of gifts or money from our clients clients family members or our company venues. gifts and or money should be returned with an explanation that company policy does not per- permit acceptance When given as a sign of appreciation, a non-monetary gift from a client that has a nominal cash value may be acceptable under certain circumstances. Before accepting gifts of this nature, employees should discuss the situation and circumstances with their supervisor or the corporate compliance department. So I want to just really touch on those two things. First, the BACB guidelines represents what we refer to as a minimum threshold, meaning that if An organization or another entity has a stricter policy, the BACB states the RBT must follow that policy. So as our corporate guidelines state, accepting gifts of monetary value is prohibited. However, again, if it's an occasional expression of gratitude and it's something of a non-monetary value, such as a handwritten note, in some instances that might be appropriate right? So to unpack all of this, I want to talk about what are some alternatives, right? From my professional experience, being in a situation where you have to decline a gift from a family has been some of the most challenging conversations I've had professionally in many cases, because we've been in the opposite seat where we want to show gratitude to someone. And showing gratitude in the form of giving gifts is something that many of us have experienced in our own life, right? So Jonathan and Christina, what are some of the ways that we as clinicians can work with our RBTs and families to maybe prevent some of those circumstances that might arise and ensure that we're all acting in a way that's culturally responsive, but also in alignment with our company and ethical guidelines?
2: So I think just to start, Brian, this is a really great topic because gifts have always been an issue moving since the inception of this field, I think. With that being said, we need to make sure that we are being aware of our families and their feelings as well. I like to send out an email just to all of the families around the holiday season specifically of, hey, just a reminder... Our clinicians and our technicians can't accept gifts. If you feel the need to give something this holiday season, draw a card with your child. Maybe we can make some cookies during session and decorate them together. Just something along those lines versus giving any sort of gift or gift card, gift basket. Making sure that our families are aware before those technicians walk into the house is the easiest for our our RBTs, and our clinicians as well.
0: Absolutely. Those are some really great alternative strategies, Christina. Jonathan, any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right to say that conversation is really hard to have. And even when you can do those proactive strategies that is talking about, sometimes you're just going to have those families who really want to do it anyways. Uh, And I think when you have to get down to that conversation, it is actually the best thing not to just ignore it or avoid it. It is best in my experience to be very direct and clear and explain the reasons why you're not able to accept it. And, and I would frame that as I'm not able to, it's like I would like yeah. to, but I'm not able to because I've committed myself to this ethical code that I'm going to follow. And I, in my experience, when you present it that way, most people will actually accept that because they understand that it's not that as your your behavior analyst, I'm rejecting you. It's yeah. that I, I totally accept you and this gift that you're offering me, but I have a compliance code that I've committed to follow. And I think that can earn respect in some cases when they understand, hey, he really is committed to doing the best for my kid and is going to follow this code regardless. Completely. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And having
0: as a professional walking into those situations with potentially uh, a response ready in those instances, if you were to be faced with a situation where you're given a gift as a sign of gratitude, again, with the purely the best of intents from our families, certainly, Um, but it's something that we have to be mindful of, especially if it is exceeding monetary value and inconsistent with our code of ethics, right? And so having those phrases that you can refer to, thank you so much. Unfortunately, company policy, I am unable to accept it, but please know that working with your child is the best gift I could ever receive, right? Right. Um, that's huge. And I think that it's an important thing because maintaining appropriate boundaries is one of the surest ways to ensure successful care because we are always looking to do what's in the best interest of that client and putting their needs first. I thought of a couple other really great alternative to giving gifts. As Christina stated, you know, a handwritten card, like that's precious. <laughs> I, if, oh, yeah. if offer, that's that's gold, right? But also too, just being mindful of. Uh words of affirmation, words of gratitude. Hey, you know, with the upcoming holidays, instead of giving gifts, maybe we'll take a couple moments at the end of our supervision where we can share something that we appreciate about you and if you're really satisfied with services and share what's a meaningful way that you know we've impacted your son or daughter. Those are the things, Jonathan, that um I can't put a price on how much that means to me hearing from a family directly, how satisfied they are with services and what they're seeing in their child. Um, to me, that is the best gift, right?
1: Oh yeah. Making important lasting changes in the lives of the kids and the families. Getting to see that is, is a great thing. And that's a, a wonderful gift that I would just love to receive from any client or, or their family.
0: Completely. Yeah. So we're aware of this is certainly a, a multifaceted topic and one that has evolved over the history of our profession. And so just remaining, again, it goes back to the point of being um, aware of changes within our ethical code and and it's relevant to practice, but also being aware of company standards as well. and reaching out if you have questions. so reaching out to your immediate supervisor, reaching out to our compliance team, reaching out to our podcast, you know, I think that, Again, it goes back to our very first conversation that we had last month about, we want this to be a culture where ethical conversations happen freely and we're supporting one another. And so um, I think that this is a very timely and relevant topic. And I'm glad to see continued thought within our field in a way that is culturally responsive and, and dynamic to the needs that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, and I would encourage everybody to go listen to that uh, podcast put out by the board, Um, and they went over a lot of the reasons why they wanted to make these updates, but essentially, they're very committed to uh, responding to the feedback of the community and of the people involved in, in ABA therapy, and this change and a lot of the changes in this code are reflective of that. So I'd encourage everybody to go listen to that podcast and get the information from the board. And they go through all the points as well. So if you have any questions about, Hey, what actually are our ethics codes, they go point by point through the whole thing and cover it. And it's, it's really informative. So I'd recommend that.
0: Yeah. Great recommendation, Jonathan.
1: Well, thank you both so much for your time this
0: afternoon on a Friday afternoon, the the twilight of our summer I appreciate your time as always. And Christina and Jonathan, thanks for an excellent conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Thank
0: you for joining us for today's episode of the BT Focus podcast as we learn more about the stories and the science behind applied behavior analysis.